Welcome to the Unity Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. In today's episode, Senior Pastor Heath Bauer takes a break in the series, Families by the Book. Today, we focus on Thanksgiving and how you and I can be thankful for all that God has done for us. Today's talk is titled, How to Be Thankful. If you are in the Ashland or Tri-State area, we would love to see you. Stick around until the end and find out how you can connect with us here at Unity Baptist Church. doing a message on children and parenting today. Uh, We're actually going to pause, uh, turning to Psalm 103, and we're going to pause and we're going to reflect on how to be thankful. Back in 1789, Washington declared a day of national thanksgiving and prayer. And it was sort of became tradition every year after that that every president would choose a day out of the year and they would call the entire nation to a day of repentance, prayer, and thanksgiving. It wasn't until Lincoln in 1863 when he dedicated the last Thursday in November as the day of Thanksgiving, and it wasn't until 1870 that it became a nationally recognized holiday. And so you can thank all of these guys for your long weekend and the heartburn you're about to experience this Thursday. So I hope you found your way to Psalm 103. You can kind of flop your Bibles open to the middle and and be reasonably close to Psalm 103. This is a psalm that we know very little about outside of the fact that it was David who wrote this psalm, and that will become more important later in this message as we're going to see. David wrote this psalm, and he is recalling to mind who God is, what he has done, so that he might not forget the many benefits of God. He's calling himself to a time of thanksgiving. He's reminding himself. Because just because it's Thanksgiving doesn't mean we always necessarily just feel thankful. It's sort of like when it's, you know, happy birthday and it's your birthday, but you don't feel happy because there's just something going on in your life. It just feels like birthday. You know, same thing with Thanksgiving. Sometimes it's like, yay, it's time to be thankful. But you're really struggling in your heart to find a place of Thanksgiving. How do we recover that? I think we'll look here and see what David said to himself as he, if you will, preached a a sermon to his own heart about how to be thankful. And the first thing we see him do is contemplate God. Psalm 103, verse 1, he begins by saying, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Do you find it interesting that he calls us and calls himself to bless God? I mean, isn't it we who need the blessing of God? Don't we sing, God bless America? Why are we blessing God? This Hebrew word bless uh, doesn't mean that we're giving God some kind of a blessing. It's a word that means to kneel or to salute. It means that we recognize that we are under a higher power, that we are under God's authority. I've never been a soldier, but one thing I do know about the military is they salute. I mean, there's training videos. Did you know there's training videos on YouTube? You can learn how to salute properly. I watched one of those. And there's like, there's a, there's like these two commands, and you know, you, you, you carefully bring up, and depending on where, if you wear a hat, if you have glasses on, or if you're, you know, like me, neither, you know, there's a certain way that you do it, and you bring your finger up just to the right side of your eyebrow, and you, you don't tip your hand up too high to show them the palm, you don't show them the back. And there's a whole set of rules You know, anybody that's a higher rank than you, you salute them. So if you're a private, I mean, you're saluting the kitchen sink, you're saluting the canines, you're saluting everybody. 
because you're always saluting people of higher rank and there's certain rules. You don't do it on the battlefield and they, they were saying uh, indoors, a lot of times they didn't salute, but there's a, whole, there's a whole culture of saluting in the military and it's important for the order of things that you show respect, you show honor, you show submission to a higher authority above you. You recognize I am under you. So when he calls us to bless God, it's to pause and to think about God, to contemplate God and to recognize, to salute him, to kneel before him, to recognize I'm underneath the authority of God himself. That I'm not just out here living my best life now. I'm, I'm, I'm here at the will of God, at the blessing of God, and as such, I'm underneath his authority. And so he calls us to stop and think about God. That is the first step toward thankfulness. If, a, if we don't think about God, you're not going to be thankful to him. You think about in uh, Romans chapter 1, and in verse 21, he says that the decline of a society begins with not thinking about God, and it leads to thanklessness. Listen to what it says. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, nor give thanks to him. And that caused their foolish heart to become darkened, that they're no longer wise. They become, Bible says, professing to be wise, they become fools. They're futile in their thinking. Why? Because it says, although they know God, by the way, Romans 1 acknowledges that no man is born an atheist. To become an atheist, you have to go to school. You have to be educated. You have to be taught that there's no God because the natural default position of a man's heart is looking at nature, looking at the sun, moon, stars in the universe, looking at the complexities of our body. The natural response to seeing these things is that we understand that God created them. But sometimes man, because of his unrighteous living, Psalm, uh, Romans 1 verse 28 says, they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Romans 1.18 says that they do this, they suppress what they know to be true because of their unrighteous life. I don't want to believe in God because I know I'm living against it. I don't want to repent and change. And so I'm going to just suppress God out of my knowledge. The King James Bible would say they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. They don't like to think about God. That's a society in decline when they don't want to think about God. And then pretty soon you start tearing out every evidence of God in your culture and society. You rip the, if you will, the Ten Commandments off the courtroom walls. You remove prayer from schools. You start teaching the religion of atheism and evolution versus creation, which is what is clear and obvious from looking at nature. We try to remove every, you know, there's people who are trying to remove in God we trust from our coinage because we don't want to think about God at all. Although we know God, we do not honor him as God. And what is the byproduct of not contemplating God? Neither were they thankful. A thankless society begins with a society that doesn't like to think about God. I want to think about what I want to think about. I want to think about my life. I want to think about having fun. I don't want to think about God. And it leads to a thankless heart. Psalm 103, by the way, he's preaching to himself. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. So in other words, it doesn't matter what the rest of y'all do. I'm going to be thankful. He's preaching to his heart. I need to pause and think about God. I need to bless him. I need to acknowledge that he's there and acknowledge that I'm under his authority. And so how do we do that? How do we think about God? How do we... How do we force our minds to contemplate who God is and what he's, what he's done? Certainly, just looking at nature, we can see that and we can you know, see a few things about God. But ultimately, as a Christian, we've got to, at some point in time, open up our Bibles. It's why a daily quiet time is so important. If you don't have a daily quiet time, is it easy to forget about God and go entire days without thinking about God? Never uttering a prayer? 
never contemplating the greatness of God, never being thankful to him. Even as Christians, church-going Christians, we can do that. We can go days, sometimes weeks, without cracking this Bible and without really pondering and contemplating God. And it doesn't have to be a long three-hour deal. I'm not telling you to get up at 4 a.m. so that you can memorize and, you know, entire books of the Bible. Begin with five minutes. Just take five minutes out of the beginning of your day before you get going and just contemplate God. Think about him. Consider that you're always daily living in his presence. Bless God. Acknowledge that he is always there with us and that we're underneath his authority and you're well on your way to being a more thankful person. Number two, we see that he counts his blessings. Okay, he's going to move from bless the Lord, O my soul, and then he's gonna talk about we need to not forget all of his benefits. He's reminding his own heart, do not forget the benefits of God. Why is he saying don't forget? Because our natural response in life is to forget. We, we forget those things that we don't discipline ourselves to do. Even children, have you discovered parents, when you have these little kids, are they born into this world naturally thankful children? Are they grateful moms for the times you get up in the middle of the night to help them? You know, are they, uh, are they expressing great, great gratitude when you make them a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and your kid opens it up? Grape jelly, I wanted strawberry, you know? Kids aren't naturally thankful and even when you do give it to them, what do you have to remind them? They're stuffing it in their face and eating it like Cookie Monster and you have to be like, hey, what do you say? Thank you, you know, it's real heartfelt. You know, but children have to be reminded to give thanks because as humans, we're not naturally full of gratitude. We have, to, we have to remind our hearts. We remind our children. Who reminds the adults? As an adult, we remind ourselves. That's what this guy's doing. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, bless his name, and let me not forget all of his benefits. At times, adults, it's good that we have Thanksgiving. We need to continually remind ourselves, are you being thankful? Are you glad for what God has done for you? Are you, are you grat truly full of gratitude this morning? because the natural state of our heart is to forget the benefits of God. Now he says that we need to not forget God's benefits. A benefit here is a word that describes all the good dealings that God has had with us, okay? Your employer gives you benefits, doesn't he? It's a way that he shows you that he cares about you as a person. You're not just a, a paycheck to him. And so he'll, he, he's trying to communicate there's things about you I wanna take care of. I wanna take care of your body. I'm gonna give you health care. I wanna take care of your teeth. I want you to have a good smile. I'm gonna take care of your eyeballs. Yeah, I'm gonna make sure you can see well. Uh, some of your employers in their benefit packages may give you matching 401k. They might give you, uh, I don't know, do they do like profit sharing or if you ever drive a company car? These are all benefits, things that your employer does that he doesn't have to do, but he does it to show that he cares about you. And he's saying here that there's certain good dealings that God has given us as his children that we should not forget. Because just like with our employer, do you ever take your benefits for granted? You only look at what you actually take home and pay, and you kind of take for granted that, well, yeah, he owes me those healthcare benefits. He owes me the matching 401k. And you don't notice how great those benefits are until you go out and you strike out on your own to start your own business and you realize, wow, that was $30,000, $40,000 worth of benefits every year that I don't have now. And I think with God, sometimes we can become complacent and we start believing that God owes us some of these benefits and we just forget all these good things that God gives us. We kind of feel like, well, that's what you owe me. Now, if I, you want me to truly be thankful, God, you gotta kind of build on that. And so he says the default state of his heart is to not be thankful. You ever find yourself there? I mean, if we all really stopped and thought about what God has done, we'd, we'd be, we have great reason to be thankful, but sometimes we just aren't thankful. 
You're like Little Heath back in 1984, about 10 years old. And uh, there was one Christmas I wanted, there was a new toy that came out. Uh, it's not new anymore. It's been around for ages, but it was called the Transformer, okay? As a little kid who only played with G.I. Joes, and I mean the big ones, not the little ones, when those Transformers came out, that was pretty impressive. You know, you could take these just little cars and things and move a few parts, push a button, and bam, you got a robot. And so that was fascinating to me. And there was one in particular that I wanted so badly. I can look back and, and recognize that's the first time in my childhood I can ever remember coveting something. You ever want a gift? that you wanted so bad that you just coveted. It consumed your thoughts. And that was me. I wanted a particular little transformer. He was called Soundwave. You see, he was a cassette recorder. That's very intimidating, right? Cassette recorder that can attack you. But he had like this little tape that would come out of his cassette and it was a little bird and you could move these things. I just thought that was the neatest thing I ever saw. And so I decided, I mean, I went full a Christmas story on my mom, went all Ralphie there and just, I was mentioning it to her. I'm pointing it out at the local Ben Franklin's, which was a five and dime in our small community I grew up in. And I just made sure that she knew this, that if you get me nothing else for Christmas, this needs to be there. And I was just, I was in covet mode. And event, what I didn't realize is my mom had already bought all my Christmas presents. But I still kept applying pressure, 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 because I, I had to have this or I wouldn't be happy, I wouldn't be thankful. And later on, my mom revealed, she ended up taking back some of my Christmas presents just to get me that one thing. And at that point, just this sense of shame washed over my heart, and I recognized I was in full-on covet mode. I was not gonna be happy that Christmas unless I had that one thing that I wanted. And so I would refuse, if you will, to be thankful. I wonder sometimes if, if maybe Thanksgiving rolls around and you're having a hard time, as we all do at times, to be thankful because there's something that you desperately want that God hasn't given you. And I don't just mean like some kind of toy. God didn't give me a wave runner, so I'm not gonna be thankful this Christmas. God didn't give me a new car. It may be something intangible, but something nonetheless that you desire. You, if you will, demand from God before you're thankful. Is there anything God has removed from your life this year that makes it hard to be thankful? Maybe you lost a job. Maybe you find yourself, you had to move into a, a different home. Maybe you got a diagnosis this year and God took away your perfect bill of health that you were so proud of. It might be that you've lost somebody. You lost a mate, a parent, a child. And because of that, in your heart, if you will, in our hearts, we got our arms folded and we're just kind of like, I don't, I don't understand how God can expect me to be happy this time of year. I don't understand how God can expect me to be thankful because you see, he didn't give me this one thing that I so badly want in my life. And so we have to remind ourselves, friends, we may not have everything we want, but don't forget the benefits he has given you, the ways that God has shown that he cares for you, the good things that God has given you and put into your life, the good things that our Father of lights has placed into our our life. Don't forget those many benefits. In fact, did you know that this is a command to be thankful? 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, give thanks, that's a command to all people, in all circumstances. I mean, it doesn't matter who you are or what situation you're in, that thankfulness is not a position of your life, it's a position of your heart. Whether or not we enjoy Thanksgiving has nothing to do with how God has treated us this last year, has nothing to do with how much income you have, has nothing to do with the house you live in, the car that you drive, or even the state of your children and how they're behaving towards you. 
Thankfulness has nothing to do with these external things. Thankfulness has everything to do with the posture of our heart as to whether or not we're blessing God, we're thinking about him, we're remembering what that he has done for us. So give thanks, he says, in all circumstances, and listen to this, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. A lot of times when somebody comes and talks to me and says, you know, I really want you to pray with me. I've got questions about God's will for my life. What are they usually talking about? Should I take this job? Should I marry this girl? Should I buy this car? What should I do? The left-right decisions where God doesn't give a moral command, where if you do this or this, God's not gonna judge you for it. You just wanna make a wise choice. But has God already revealed his will to us? He has. And this is one of those areas in his revealed will that he has shown us what is God's intention for our life. In this case, it is thankfulness. That is God's will. I think, you know, friends, if we would focus more on obeying what God has revealed to be his will, we may have a lot more clarity in these fuzzy areas of life. That if we're behaving obediently and responsibly toward God, that he's gonna give us clarity in some of these smaller issues. But let's begin with what we know to be God's will. And for, the, and for this verse here, it's 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Let's look at number three. He's going to call to mind God's works. David, after commanding his own soul to bless God, not to forget his benefits, he's about to go through a list of things that he's personally recalling to mind. Okay, he is, he's reciting these things in his head. Now, let's pause for a minute and think. The only thing we know about the psalm is that it was written by David, and if we look at the context of the psalm itself, we have reason to believe that this is occurring later on in David's life and not as a young man. Charles Spurgeon said he believes it's later in life because David here has a higher sense of the preciousness of pardon, a keener sense of sin, he says, than his younger days. His clear sense of the frailty of life indicate his weaker years, as also does the fullness of his praiseful gratitude. And I agree with Spurgeon. I believe just reading through this psalm, if you read through the entirety of Psalm 103, it will reveal that David was writing this later in his life, especially if you look at verses 15 and 16, where David is referring to his youth in the past tense. He's no longer a young guy. Why is it important that we know that David was writing this in his later years? Because as David is recalling to his mind, let's think about God, let's count our blessings, Let's recall all that God has done for me. David is writing this then after his daughter got raped, after his adulterous scandal that ruined his reputation. David wrote this after his son Absalom murdered his other son Amnon, after his baby died, after Absalom came in and, and ran David militarily out of his own city did unspeakable things with his concubines, and then after his son Absalom engaged David in battle, and Absalom was strung up by his hair in a tree and filled with spears. After all of this, David in his older age is recalling back to his mind all that God has done for him, not all that God has taken away. Isn't that what Thanksgiving needs to be for us? Not looking at what God took away, but looking at what God gave you. Because there's none of us here who show up to Thanksgiving and said, wow, can you believe it? My life is flawless. I mean, look at my kids. That was a joke, okay? You know, nobody shows up to Thanksgiving and says, everything is A-OK. -okay. 
My car's running great. My relationship with my wife has never been better. My kids and my my finances are where they need to be. I've got just this massive nest egg that's gonna let me retire in Tahiti, you know, when I'm 55. We don't show up to just every Thanksgiving feeling like that, but we can be thankful. We know it's the will of God and he commands us to do it. And so what God is teaching our hearts is that thankfulness is a perspective in life, not to focus on what God didn't have or what he took away but on what God has given us. And then he begins to list these things out. A, God forgives us of our sins. Look at verse three. It says, bless God who forgives all your iniquity. Is that enough to thank God today for? Just knowing that you're born again? Just that you're saved. I mean, think about it. If all God did from the moment you were born, you lived to be 100, and every day of your life, all it was was torture in darkness, morning, noon, and night, but in the end, you'd get to spend eternity with God in eternal bliss and glorification with Jesus Christ. You would look back in eternity on that as a minuscule price to pay just for that glory of living with the Father. And so David says, bless God who forgives us of all our sins. David, best of all, understands what that looks like. David had so much sin in his life as his uh, his adulterous affair with Bathsheba and just the problems, you know, sending Uriah out into the middle of the battle and having the guys pull back so that he would intentionally die. David was far from a perfect man. David knew well he needed forgiveness. And he was just blessing God. You know, if you give me nothing else in life, I'm gonna look back and just thank God that he has forgiven me of my sins. B, he thanks God that he heals us. He says, bless God who heals all your diseases. Has God ever healed you from anything? Oh, I think all the time. We don't even realize it. These little sicknesses. I'll give you one example, COVID. I would be, I would reasonably say that probably every, every soul in here has probably had COVID run through them at least once. Did God heal you from that? If, if God didn't heal you from COVID, why are you here? Okay, so clearly God healed you from that. Did God not necessarily heal everybody you know from that? During that period of time, I lost one of my best friends in the world, a guy named Jonathan, to COVID. He was my age. He was not, not some, he wasn't hugely overweight. He didn't have comorbidities. He wasn't super old. It just, you ever feel like with COVID, you just never knew who was gonna get it? You feel like you're just rolling the dice because you know, you see some 90-year-old grandmother who's going through chemo and somehow she pulls through, but then you got this like 30-year-old young man who's a track runner and he dies from it. It was just, it was a mystery, but yet God chose to bring you through it. Have you thanked God that he brought you through COVID? We could look beyond COVID, couldn't we? Has God, what is, look throughout all your life. Every surgery you've been through, you went under and God brought you back out. God healed your body. He's healed you from disease. And you may be carrying a disease today, but guess what God has also provided you? He put you in a period of time where they can kind of ameliorate your symptoms. He can give you drugs. They can give you certain courses of treatment. Remember that man may have, man may think that he created those things, but those blessings come from God. Can you be thankful that even though you may currently be bearing a disease, you may have cancer today, and yet God is, is comforting you during this time of suffering? Can you give thanks for that? Maybe not that he's not taken it away yet, but that God has allowed you to live in a time where they can get rid of some of these symptoms or prolong your life. These are blessings from the Lord. He heals us. 
See, God rescues our life from sin and suffering. Verse four, it says, bless God who redeems your life from the pit. This isn't just talking about salvation. God has rescued you from the penalty of sin. That's our salvation. But he has removed us from the pit. He has, he has rescued us from the power of sin. It doesn't have to dominate our lives. It doesn't have to destroy us. James says, lust brings forth sin. When it is full grown, it brings forth death. That every sin that we commit in life has a way of destroying our life and making it just a little bit worse. I mean, look around you. Can you see the ravages of sin and what it has on homes in this community? People who are strung out on drugs, who have destroyed their life with addictions to alcohol. People who have destroyed their life through, you know, multiple affairs and broken up homes and, you know, maybe just lost their life savings on gambling and just these other things that just, it's a pit. Sin leads us to a pit and yet God has lifted us out of that pit that we don't have to live a life of difficulty, suffering, and brokenness due to the ongoing presence of sin in our lives. Those of you who got saved at a later age, can you look back upon the sinful lifestyle that you used to have and how it was destroying your life and setting you on a course for destruction, and yet you can look today at how God has pulled you out of that pit and set you on a solid place. Can you be thankful for that today? Even if you're a person who is like me, I grew up in the church, a little kid, I can't even remember a time when I didn't believe in Jesus. I can't remember a time. But I can still look around and see how sin ravages others. Can we be thankful that our life isn't just habitually destroyed through sin? D, God makes us a part of his family. He says, bless God who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. When God saved us, he didn't just rescue us out of the pit and says, well, you know, Best of luck, be warmed and filled, have a good, have a good go at it in life here. He crowns us, it means that we will, we will reign with him. That's what, that's what 2 Timothy talks about. He says, if we endure, in other words, just if we're one of those Christians, our faith endures, and that's the mark of a true Christian, he says, we will reign with him. We aren't just going to be forgiven, we're, we're transformed and we are adopted, the Bible is a term the Bible uses, God has adopted us into his family and we will rule and reign with Jesus. That God has rescued us out of sin, out of the darkest, deepest pit of sin and destruction, but then God put us in the palace with him that we will live in the house of the Lord forever. You may not like the three bedroom, two bath that you're in right now, but can you praise God that you have a mansion waiting for you in glory with God? You ever hear of an old Old Testament story about a, a fellow named, and this is a relatively obscure name, you ever heard of Mephibosheth? That's a law, that's a mouthful right there. My wife, she had a little fish named Mephibosheth because he had kind of a, a little gimpy little fin. Um, you'll understand why that, it's important later, but Mephibosheth was a son of King Saul. First king, first, who thought he was gonna have this dynasty in Israel. But the first king of Israel, well, he sinned against God and God ripped his kingdom away from him and allowed Saul and most of his sons to perish in battle. And David was anointed king. And when David became king, all of a sudden the family of Saul got scared because it was custom at that time that if a new king, a new dynasty, a new family line began to rule in the kingdom, what you did is you would begin by killing off all of the family line of the previous king so there'd be no claimants to the throne. And so when they heard that David had taken the throne, little Mephibosheth was just this little child, little baby, and his nurse just scooped him up out of the crib and started running with him across the field, but she fell in a hurry, and that fall wounded the baby so badly that the baby became crippled. 
and he went into hiding for the rest of his life. And so here's this man, he's crippled, he's unable to make a living, he's dependent upon others, he's hiding in the shadows, he's got this, if you will, the sentence of death upon his head, he should be dead by any other kingdom in the land's uh, rules, he should be dead, but he's, he's just hiding. But then what does David do? One day, God puts it on David's heart and he asks the question, is there anybody of Saul's family that I can show kindness to on behalf of Jonathan. And they bring up Mephibosheth. And so David hunts down Mephibosheth who's been hiding in the shadows, this little poor crippled boy who's you know, eating whatever kind of scraps he could. Is there anybody I can show kindness to him? And so David seeks him out and David finds him. He doesn't punish him, he actually shows him mercy. David had every right to, if you will, as a king, kill him, but he didn't, he showed mercy. But more than mercy, David showed him grace. He brought Mephibosheth back and put a crown on his head and allowed him to live in the palace of the king who sat at the king's table and ate the king's meat and lived in, in glory forever in the presence and fellowship of the king. Friends, we are Mephibosheth, aren't we? Every one of us, we're born into this world crippled. We're born to this world crippled by sin. We cannot do anything to earn favor with God so as to be rightly related to him. In fact, the sentence of death is upon our head, isn't it? Because biblically speaking, you're either a child of the devil, or you're a child of God. There's no, there's no in between, you don't get to choose your parent. And we were born into this world sons of the devil. I know those harsh words, but Jesus said that. We're born sons of the devil. The mark of death is on our head. There's nothing, we're crippled. There's nothing we can do to earn our favor with God. All we can do is pray that there's a God loving enough that, he's, that he desires to show kindness to us on behalf of his son, Jesus. And he came out and he sought us out and he found us and he took us in our crippled estate and he brought us out into, to live in his house forever, put a crown on our head. And beyond that, it says that uh, he crowned us, he says, with his steadfast love and mercy. That's that Hebrew word hesed. It's God's loyal love. It's a love that's based upon God's ability to love, not our ability to earn it. And so not only do we have a crown put on our head that we're gonna dwell in the presence of God, we're a part of his family, we're adopted, we're called sons and daughters of the Most High, but because that covenant is based upon God's hesed and not our works, it can't be taken away. And so that's something we can be thankful for today. He has crowned us with his steadfast love. We see, E, that God provides for our needs. Verse five says, bless God who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like eagles. Satisfied here is a word that just means that we've eaten until we're completely full. We've, had every, we've been given everything that we need. Would that describe most of us here today that you have everything you need in life? Don't ask your six-year-old child. That child always wants something else. But as an adult, you've grown up to realize, you know, we have what we need, and if we'd be honest, we have far more than what we need. Most of us, we don't even know what a staple food is. Go to every other country in the world, they're eating rice for every meal, or they're eating a certain type of bread for every meal. It's a staple food. For us, our only concern is, hey, lunchtime, baby, what do you want? I'm kind of bored going here. You know, what do you want to eat? Even right here in Ashland, do we have choices? You know, the only, the only choice you don't get is Chick-fil-A on Sunday. Everything else, I mean, you, what do you want? Chinese, you want Japanese, you want Indian, do you want Mexican? We've got 15 types of Mexican. You want, you know, homestyle food, you want barbecue, what do you want? Our, our only thought about food is not will I have enough to survive, but do I have the kind of food that I feel like so as to make me happy? 
And so, no, we have been filled with, satisfied with good so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. There may be some here, I don't know, there, there could be a few here who don't have enough. You don't have enough food. And by the way, if that's, if that's your situation, you don't have enough food, can I tell you, don't go away from this place without mentioning something to someone. We have food in the basement, we really do. We have dry goods we can give you. We'll take you out to the store, we'll get you food. You're not gonna go hungry at this church, especially on Thanksgiving, but let your needs be known. But most of us, most of us, God has given us far more than even what we need. And, and even for some of these others of us who are struggling financially, sometimes it's that God has come through on his promise to provide for all our needs. The problem is that God has provided all our needs, but we're spending according to all our wants. That might be why we can't afford to pay our bills, that God wants us to learn contentment. But God promises to provide for us. He satisfies us with these good things. Number four, I want us to pause and consider the attributes of God. That'll make you thankful. I don't know if you've ever been around the world. I've preached in a number of different countries. I've been exposed to a number of different world religions. The darkest place I remember going was India. I remember back in, I think it was 98, I went to India and preached a number of crusades. And when, as soon as I got off the plane, it's the darkest feeling I've ever had in my whole life. It's sort of, it was almost like a tangible darkness. This blanket of just sadness overwhelmed me as I got off that plane. It's also the only country I've ever preached where they threatened to kill me if I preached the message. I preached the sermon and then they snuck me away in a little rickshaw under a blanket. <laughs> they never did find me, so I thank God for that. Uh, it was a dark place though, and I just remember seeing that in Hinduism, their religion is just full of these dark, demonic-looking deities, these, these fangs. And uh, when I went to China, I saw Buddhist monasteries and temples, and it's just full of these similar, because Buddhism, by the way, is, a, is the cousin of Hinduism, grew out of it. And so just these, these dark, evil deities, and it gets even darker when you get into the Tibetan world, where they took Buddhism and they combined it with their occult religion, called the Bon religion, and it created Tibetan Buddhism, so it's a darker version, version of Buddhism. And so I've been into these Tibetan Buddhist monasteries, and it's, the walls are just filled with these terrifying images. Your gods are meant to scare you, to put fear in you so that you will give them money, and so you'll, you'll serve them, you'll do things for them. And so you just see these giant fangs, and they're colored blue. Some of them have multiple arms. They're usually standing with their foot on the head or the neck of some guy. And there's just horrible scenes of disemboweling and uh, horrific, immoral images on the walls. They're, they're demonic-looking gods have these skulls of human skulls as they're wearing as a belt around their waist. And then there's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That in Psalm 23, our God is called our shepherd. Someone that loves us, who comes alongside of us, who gently guides us through life. Jesus himself described himself as a, as a mother hen. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, even though you stoned the prophets, how I would have gathered you as a mother hen under my wings, but you would not. That's our God, can you be thankful just for who God is today, that you're not one of, these, one of these countries where you grew up being taught that these evil deities are the ones that rule your life and that you serve them out of fear? How does David describe our God? He begins in verse six describing the attributes of our God. He says, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. I'm thankful that we serve a righteous God, that he's holy. Aren't you glad that God isn't like you? If you were God, 
you had the same heart, but God just gave you supernatural powers, would we be in a world of trouble? Every one of us would be in trouble. Our God is different. He is righteous. The Bible says God cannot deny himself. He cannot lie. He's not like us. Back in seventh grade, I, used to, I got into the kind of a fascination with reading mythology for some bizarre reason. And so I was reading about Norse mythology, and my takeaway from Norse mythology is, thank you, Jesus, that I'm a Christian. Because you read these horrifying stories. You know, you have Odin, who this earth was built from some giant's skull named, I don't know, how would you pronounce M-Y-M-I-R? Whatever it is. The earth was supposed to be built out of his skull. If that wasn't dark enough, uh, they took Loki, their god of mischief, and they killed his son, used his entrails to tie him to a rock and leave him there until the end of time. Lovely little bedtime story, by the way. I mean, these are dark. And so, and it just goes on and on. Freya uh, committed adulterous acts because she found a pretty necklace that she wanted. Thor was a racist. He hated dwarves. And so with false gods, they, all they are is amplified men. They're like you and me. They have just as dark a heart, but they just have bigger muscles. They're just bigger and stronger. Aren't you glad you don't serve a God who's just like you, just as evil as you and I are, but just stronger? We serve a God who is righteous. Numbers 23, 19 reminds us, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. He doesn't, God doesn't change. When God says he was this way in the Old Testament, God is this way in the New. That he doesn't change. I'm glad God isn't like us, but a lot of times we look at God and we view him through the lens of what humans should be like and what humans would do. And so we expect the same behavior from God. God says he's not like you and I. He's not evil. In fact, he's a knowable God. Verse seven says, he made his ways known to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. That we have a God, not only is he great and not only is he holy, but he is He's knowable, he, he's compassionate. He wants to get to know us. He wants a relationship with you. That's why he gave us this Bible. It's why he put, even just nature itself is a giant scavenger hunt that for the rest of our lives, we're supposed to see God in nature. But more than that, God gave us a specific revelation of who he is. God is knowable, he wants to be known. When someone wants to reveal themselves to you, what does that indicate? that they care about you. You don't, go, you don't go down to the uh, food fair next door to buy some groceries and just start pouring your heart out to the cashier, do you? I mean, I hope not, you know? Boy, it's been a hard day, can I tell you about it? And you just start pouring your heart out. No, when you reveal your heart to someone that you deeply care about, someone that you trust, God, if you will, has poured his heart out to us as his people. It shows the level of, of relationship and depth that God desires with us. Moving on. Uh, we'll skip a few verses here. Go, uh, verse eight here, it says, God is slow to anger. It says, the Lord is merciful. He is gracious. Merciful is God not giving us the punishment that we should have. Grace is God giving us blessings that we didn't deserve. God has given us mercy and grace. That's who our God is. He's not Shiva, the destroyer. He's God, the merciful and gracious. He says, God is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. In other words, even when God does bring discipline into our life and he punishes us, there's a backstop to it. God isn't just a vengeful God. I think it was Martin Luther who said, if I were God, I would kick this earth to pieces. That's our theologian. 
Okay, that's how we feel because we aren't like God. God isn't like us. He is long-suffering and even his judgment, his anger is not forever toward his children. Verse 10, it says, he will not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. Can we be thankful today that God doesn't repay evil for evil? You know, or that God doesn't immediately judge evil the moment we do it. Can you imagine? You know, as soon as we skip church, we run our car into a tree. You know, as soon as you have a lustful thought, God causes you to trip and get a bloody nose and you hit your face on the pavement. Just the moment you do it. Every time you have a proud thought, God just smites you with heartburn. Can you imagine? Aren't you glad that God is long-suffering with your sin and with mine? I mean, we're not like that. When I was a little kid, my brothers would make me mad. I would go, I would go over to the uh, bathroom, I would grab their toothbrush, I would swirl it in the toilet, and I'd put it back up on the uh, toothbrush holder. I'm, that's, I'm not, that's not a proud moment, and I'm sorry if any of my brothers are listening to this. I hope there's no lasting effects. That's how humans are. We give immediate recompense. You have done me wrong. I, I was a bad kid, I'm sorry. Uh, there's a reason my dad had a spanking stick, painted it black, and wrapped the handle with electrical tape. I had it coming. Okay, so that's how humans are, but aren't you glad God isn't like that? That God doesn't immediately just judge you for the sins that you have done, that I have done? In fact, verse 11, it says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love to those who fear him. That God's love is nothing that we can describe in earthly terms. It's far beyond anything we can ever imagine. That there's no sin that God will not forgive. There's no amount of grace and love and mercy that God will not show. For as, high, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. That when God forgives us as a Christian, if we're his child, we're never going to be, he's never going to bring our sins back to us. He puts your sin on a rocket ship going that way. He puts us on a rocket ship going the opposite way, and the two are never going to meet again. God separates us from these things. They are infinitely separated from us. He's never going to bring back these sins. This is why we can be thankful. It's because we serve a great God who has done great things. Let us not forget his benefits. And that, that really is where thanksgiving comes from. It's pausing to reflect on God, to contemplate him, it comes from recognizing that every good thing that we have came from him. It comes from counting our blessings and just meditating upon the greatness of who God is, which leads our heart as a Christian to worship him, to offer up our worship. Thanksgiving is simply a choice. It's not a state of the heart or being, is it? You know, we're entering into the season where we're about to watch A Christmas Carol 15 times. You know, maybe you watch the old George C. Scott one, maybe you watch uh, Captain Jean-Luc Picard, I mean, Patrick Stewart, you know, in one of those. Maybe you watch the old, the animated Jim Carrey one. Uh, even the Muppets have their take on it, and I think they even came out with another new Christmas Carol that's coming out this year. Uh, Christmas Carol, it's just such a, a timeless story to us because it teaches us and shows us things about what life, what's really important in life. And so you have these two families. You have the Cratchits over here. You have Scrooge, who has everything a man could possibly want, but yet, where do we find him in the story? He's wearing tattered clothes. He's in a dark room. He's just slurping his soup. He gets visited by ghosts. It's a rough life. But he has everything he could want. He should be happy, and he's not. And then, we, then it's sort of, you know, Ghost of Christmas Present, I think it is, that takes us over to see the Cratchit household, and they're living in squalor and in poverty. They got very little to eat. Uh, if you read the book, it'll say that his wife is wearing a twice-turned dress, which just means that it got so old it frayed at the bottom, so they flipped it over and sewed it again. It frayed again, they flipped it over and they sewed it again. It means you're extremely poor. You got nothing. And yet, 
Peeking through the window of the Cratchit house, he sees everybody there is happy. They're having, there's joy there. Even though Tiny Tim's got crutches, the kid is smiling, they're, they're having a good time together. They're suffering, but they're still giving thanks. And when they go to pray for their meal, he still says, God bless us, everyone. He's contemplating the divine. He's giving thanks for what he has, and he can still have a joyous and happy holiday because of his perspective, and that's us. And I'm hoping this Thanksgiving, you'll recognize that whether or not you're thankful or not is everything to do with your perspective. It has nothing to do with where you are in life, what you have or what God has taken away. Can we just take some time out? Can I challenge you this Thanksgiving? Enjoy your Macy's parade, enjoy your football, enjoy all the other things that you do, but can we just take some time out where we shut the TVs off Get your kid's cell phone, put it in a basket, lock it in the room, and just lock that stuff away and take some time out. And I'd like to encourage you to take one step beyond, let's just go around the table and say something we're thankful for. We might even challenge our family to show gratitude, not just generally or to our parents, but let's show gratitude to God. Let's go around the table and each one pray. Each one of us pray and just thank God for something that we recognize this blessing came from, came from God's hands. Let's pause and let's be quiet. And let's just give thanks maybe before this meal and recognize not what we don't have, but what we do. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. I pray that that is the desire of your heart this Thanksgiving and that you will find joy and a heart of gratitude, not because of where you are, but just for who God is and what he's already done. Father, we thank you today that we can offer up just hearts of thanks and gratitude this morning for just your many blessings. We just want to acknowledge the good things that you have done for us. God, if the only thing that you gave us was the hope of an eternal future with you, if nothing in our life went well, if we achieved none of our goals, accomplished none of our dreams, if all we had was sickness and sorrow, earthly speaking, that we had a miserable marriage, we were separated from our children, even if all of these things were present and true. God, help us to focus on the fact that just knowing that our sin's forgiven, that we're gonna be crowned with your steadfast love, help us to find joy in that, in the things that cannot be taken away, rather than reveling in the things that were taken away or that we did not receive this year. Give us thankful hearts as an expression of our faith, we ask in Christ's name this morning. From all of us here at Unity, we would like to thank you for spending time with us today. If you would like to know how to surrender your life to Christ, click on the link in the show notes, and we would love the opportunity to help you in your next steps. If you've enjoyed today's talk, remember to like, subscribe, and share our podcast. As promised, if you would like more information about Unity, you can connect with us at unitybaptistashland.com or on Facebook at UBC Ashland.